Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect program. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we'll conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the program, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this program is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's program, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Janitha, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect program. This is um, on Survivors 2, Family, Friends, and Loved Ones Managing the Fatigue of Caregiving. And this is Part 3 of our 7th Annual Cancer Survivorship Series, Living With, Through, and Beyond Cancer. And many of you have been on the other parts of this series, and this is the last of the three-part series that we're doing for this year. And today's program is a collaborative effort. This entire series is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care, the National Cancer Institute, the Lance Armstrong Foundation, the Intercultural Cancer Council, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. It's a very special collaborative relationship that we have working together, and it's because of our working together that we've been able to reach really so many of you on the call today. So although you can't look around and see each other, I just want to tell you all that we have over 2,000. 805 people on this call today. This is very large. This is our largest call ever in the survivorship series. And you actually come from all of the United States. You come from large cities and small cities, from suburban areas, as well as rural and frontier communities. And we do have a number of international participants, and I'm just going to mention the countries that they represent. We have people from Australia, from Canada, the Dominican Republic, Germany, Guam, India, Italy, Ireland, Japan, Malaysia, Pakistan, Syria, and Venezuela. So you really come from all over the world, and it's really a credit to you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us, really focusing on the issues of caregivers as survivors, too. I'd like to turn your attention for a moment to the materials that you received from Cancer Care. In those materials is an outline that our speakers have prepared, and there's wonderful materials about each of the collaborating organizations their websites, um, their informational pieces, and there's a wonderful piece from the National Cancer Institute, the Facing Forward series. That is just a wonderful series if you have not seen it for you to get a hold of that. Now, we also have an evaluation form in your materials, and this is very important to us. Um, You know, this program has been going on now for seven years, and we very much choose the topics based on your recommendations. Indeed, this particular topic was introduced last year because of your recommendations and, again, because people recommended on their evaluations that we should do this again, the survivors covering the issues of caregivers, um, we've included again this year. But who but each of you can best tell us the topics that you feel would be most helpful to you? So do take a moment at the end of today's program and complete that evaluation form. I have to say that your, your comments and, and your recommendations um, for topics really help to make these programs most relevant to meet your particular needs. Now, today's program is made possible by support from the National Cancer Institute and the, and the Livestrong Lance Armstrong Foundation. I really want to thank them for supporting not only today's program, but this entire series and the seven years of our doing this series. And I want to introduce to you um, Dr. Catherine Alfano. And Dr. Alfano is a program director and behavioral scientist, Office of Cancer Survivorship at the National Cancer Institute. And she would like to say some words of welcome, as well as put this program in a context of survivorship. Dr. Alfano? 
Thank you, Carolyn, and welcome to our invited speakers and to all of you listeners who've joined us for today's workshop. It's really, truly an honor to be able to co-host this seventh annual Cancer Survivorship Teleconference Series, focusing on the issues faced by survivors and their loved ones after treatment ends. As Carolyn noted, this is the last of the three workshops in our 2009 series, and the National Cancer Institute, represented by my office, the Office of Cancer Survivorship, and by the Office of Communications and Education, is pleased to serve once again as an organizational partner and co-funder of this program. As some of you may know, the National Cancer Institute established the Office of Cancer Survivorship in 1996 in direct response to the articulate and compelling demand by cancer survivors and the advocacy community to better understand the unique and ongoing needs of this growing population. The overall goal of the office is to improve the length and quality of survival for all of those living with a history of cancer, which is currently estimated to be over 12 million people in the United States alone. One of the ways the office achieves its mission is by participating in the development of educational materials and outreach activities, such as this teleconference series, that are designed to equip cancer survivors and their caregivers with the information that they need to achieve optimal health and well-being after cancer. The number of participants in this survivorship series has continued to grow across the years. In the past, we have had participants from over two dozen countries on our calls, making our capacity to reach those in search of information truly global. Along with our program partners, we are deeply gratified by this response. At the same time, though, we recognize that the popularity of this series is a testament to the fact that for many cancer survivors and for their caregivers, even though cancer treatment is over, the cancer experience is not. The topics that we have chosen for this year's teleconference series reflect themes that many survivors, caregivers, and their healthcare providers have told us present challenges for them as survivors make the transition from treatment to recovery. We know that the effects of cancer and cancer treatment can reach far beyond the survivor to family, friends, and loved ones. And so today's topic, managing the fatigue of caregiving, is an extremely important one. I am very pleased to have three outstanding speakers who will address this topic today. Again, I am delighted to be co-hosting this workshop with my colleague, Dr. Carolyn Messner, and I will now turn the program over to her. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Alfano, and we really thank you so much for your really welcome to everybody as well as your support of this series and this, and really your being a champion of this series for now so many years. Thank you. So our first speaker today is Joe Summer, and he is going to represent the Caregiver Perspective. He is Executive Director, AT&T Intellectual Property, and I'm now going to turn the program over to Joe, who's going to really do the opening remarks in terms of just um, the Caregiver Perspective. Joe? Hi, and uh, thank you so much uh, for having the opportunity to uh, speak uh, to you all. Uh, and uh, what I'd like to do is uh, uh, present a few points that have been very um, uh, worthwhile for me as being a caregiver uh, uh, for my uh, spouse, my wife, uh, who was diagnosed uh, about 16 years ago uh, with ovarian cancer uh, during the uh, birth of our uh, third child. Um, some of the things, the key points that I'd like to, to point out to, to you all and um, many of the, the things that I will say you may have already started to experience or learn for yourself um, 
but I, after even 16 years, continue to learn uh, new coping mechanisms and new ideas of, 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 of helping out and, and being the best uh, caregiver I can. Uh, one, one example might be that, uh, um, at least uh, in the early onset, um, I learned very quickly that um, uh, my relationships with my friends, my neighbors, my relatives, uh, oddly, very dramatically changed. Uh, it was due to more so their perception of what was going on with uh, our family and especially um, my my spouse. Um, some uh, who um, immediately understood their questions turned to, what can I do uh, for you? Um, um, uh, others were more along the lines of, you know, uh, how is it going? They wanted the, if I could say, the news report. Um, and, uh, for example, my sister from California, uh, I have four siblings. She showed up at my house 24 hours later the next morning, once I made the call that we had this diagnosis. But some very close neighbors, as I said, and friends and relatives who, who were over our house very frequently, um, they stopped showing up. They, they didn't quite, as I said, know how to deal with this. That was okay uh, for us. Uh, we, we realized that it was replaced by, amazingly, some neighbors and friends who we just used to wave to in our in our town, they were stopping by our house and dropping off dinners. They became you know uh, an organization of of uh, how can we help um, uh, the summers? Um, they organized, as I was mentioning, a dinner list, and um, this was much to the delight of my children. They started to see that the McNamara's were providing this and the Musios were providing this lasagnas, but it got carried away uh, a little bit with my children because they um, they thought that they this uh, they could uh, change the menus around and they could alter who was going to deliver what meal at what time uh, because of um, how much they enjoyed the lasagna over perhaps the pot roast and that was a role I got to play too but it was more the lighter side. But let me continue give you another example. Um, of, of something that I personally had to adjust myself on, which is um, as being a um, and I don't you know as a male uh, as a guy, you have that mochismo um, feeling of I can do it all, I can cook, I can do the laundry, I'll, I'll do everything that needs to get done to keep this family sailing on as if nothing has happened, and. Uh, that didn't um, exactly work out very well because, for example, um, I started taking my children to the wrong soccer games at the wrong time on the wrong fields and causing a lot of confusion there. I was uh, going down to the laundry room, and once I figured out which was the washer and which was the dryer, I was putting all of the laundry in, and all of a sudden all our clothes started turning gray because I didn't realize that not only should you bleach certain types of clothes, but you, you do laundry in a certain fashion. So it's very, very important to let people help out. And uh, I'm sure as um, 
you are, and I'm sure you're learning, that it's so important that it's also important to accept people giving things to you and that they will either give you time, either watching your kids, uh, doing uh, things that, that you need done, but by them doing them for you, you can spend time uh, supporting your spouse uh, and uh, or, or the person you're, care, you're giving, providing care to. Uh, an individual, again, as an example, uh, found out that my car was uh, needed registration, took it, had it registered, and brought it back. I didn't even know it. Uh, they just worked it out with the neighbors. It was fantastic. Um, another very, very key area is the, the importance of, and again, uh, uh, being the eyes and ears for uh, the person you're providing uh, uh, the, the role of a caregiver for. They often um, want to be in front of their, their physicians, their doctors, and they just don't, they want that medication, they want to make certain they're, you know, physically capable of taking as much uh, treatment or, or whatever you need, or, or how they feel, obviously, after the treatment. You know, they're, they're very, very tired, and in the follow-up visits, months and months later, um, you you need to keep it. it it's it's useful to keep records and a diary of what how how much they're eating how much they're getting out how active they are because sometimes you know six months a year two years down the road you know they might be saying to the doctor oh, well I'm you know I'm out I'm playing tennis I'm doing this I'm doing all the shopping and you know your recollection of what's maybe perhaps actually going on could be something different and it's very important in the right way and gently to communicate uh to to the to the the physician uh so that they can properly uh make adjustments perhaps um so that you know the the progress can always be in an ongoing and forward fashion um uh, another another area um uh, and I'll end on this, is is that, you know, I always say that, and we've always heard, that knowledge is power. And, you know, continuing to um, uh, immerse yourself, uh, be it uh, by Googling or in the Internet, or uh, uh, but especially care groups, uh, support groups, uh, is in, in very, very important. Uh, Sixteen years ago, when we got started, uh, there, there were uh, some, but those that we, uh, was dropping my wife or, at, off at, they were solely for my wife. They were solely for women. And I actually needed some guidance in, in how I could help. And I just, at one of them, uh, I came in with her and sat down, and I was the only male. And they didn't manage to chase me out, and, and I learned a lot, and it some cases I was able to impart a different side of things. So knowledge is so important, and I'll end here. I hope I have given you some ideas on, you know, letting people give. Um, you can't do it all. And, of course, you have to keep yourself in shape if you're going to be caring for somebody else. Get your sleep and, uh, and uh, uh, eat right and so on. So thank you so, so very much for being able to share some of these thoughts with you. Thank you again. 
Well, thank you very much, Joe, for just excellent presentation, excellent really sharing of your experience and some of the things that were helpful to you. Um, and I really want to thank you so much. I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you. Our next, uh, our next speaker is Dr. Shelby Langer. Dr. Langer is Research Assistant Professor, University of Washington School of Social Work. She's affiliated Investigator Biobehavioral Sciences, Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. As you can see, Dr. Langer wears many hats, and she is going to cover the following. She's going to talk about the definition of a caregiver, what the research tells us about caregivers' well-being, couples and partners, and family communication. Dr. Langer? Hi, everyone, and Carolyn. Um, thank you so much for including me in today's call to address this very important topic that touches so many people. And as Carolyn said, I'm going to start by defining what we mean by the term caregiver. A caregiver is anyone who provides care for a survivor. This can include <clears throat> excuse me, professional caregivers, but today we're focusing on family and friends, those who offer assistance for the needs of a loved one. This can be adult children, spouses, parents, siblings, cousins, you know, what have you. It can also be partners, friends, neighbors, as Joe mentioned, or, or coworkers. Importantly, a caregiver can provide more than one type of care, ranging from assisting with medical tasks to helping with daily activities like grocery shopping, preparing meals, paying bills, uh, bathing, or even mowing the lawn. Um, in addition, caregivers provide companionship. Sometimes what people need most is simply to feel that someone is present with them, that they are not alone, and that they feel, quote, cared for. We know from lots of research that just as survivors are affected by cancer and its treatment, so too are caregivers. In fact, some studies have found that caregivers experience even more emotional distress than do survivors. It's not uncommon for caregivers to report negative emotions like sadness, fear, anger, and guilt. This is perfectly normal if anyone on the phone is feeling or has felt this way. Even while at other times you may feel valued and proud of your contributions as you should, I feel like we need a round of applause for everyone on the phone, um, but you may also feel burdened or overwhelmed by your responsibilities. And some may find it helpful to have an outlet for these emotions, and there's lots of options. You can talk to a counselor, a social worker, a member of the clergy. You can attend a support group either in person, online, or on the phone as we're doing today. I know cancer care has lots of options. And you can also talk to family and friends. And all of these things can genuinely help in kind of sharing the load of caregiving. And I've got yet another option that doesn't even require having another person to talk to, so it's pretty darn easy. Research has shown us that journaling or writing about one's thoughts and feelings about a stressful event helps people feel better, both mentally and physically. Now, if you don't think of yourself as someone who keeps a journal or a diary, and, and many of us don't, know that it doesn't have to be a daily activity, and it doesn't have to be in the form of a beautiful leather-bound diary and, and perfect penmanship. The point is simply to express your thoughts and feelings. This could be done by scribbling on scratch paper, typing on a laptop, speaking into an audio recorder, or even talking to a pet or a plant. If you're concerned about privacy, it's fine to shred the paper as soon as you're done or delete the digital file. In fact, it's best if no one else sees it so that you feel free to say whatever's on your mind. So if you're feeling stretched thin or don't have a place to talk about your feelings, try this experiment. 
plan at two to three different times for about 15 minutes to write down or say whatever you're thinking or feeling without trying to spell right or make whole sentences. And if 15 minutes feels too long, research has actually shown that writing for even five or two minutes can be helpful. So just do what you can. Um, and then see what you have learned from the experiment. And then you can decide whether or not you want to continue. But it's an option for you. Thus far, I've talked about the emotional side of caregiving. But research has shown that caregiving can also affect caregivers' physical health. Caregivers report tiredness. This is probably no surprise to anyone on the call. In addition, caregiving has been shown to affect the immune system. People who, research has shown us that people who care for a spouse with stroke or dementia have been found to have more episodes of infectious illness like colds or flus, and they have a harder time fighting off infections, and their wounds also heal more slowly. So this underscores the importance of taking care of yourself. Get regular checkups with a healthcare provider. Try to eat healthfully, exercise, and take time for yourself. Whatever that is for you, maybe it's spending time with friends, meditating or doing yoga, or even just having 15 minutes alone to listen to music or, or read a magazine. Now, I know that this is easier said than done, and caregivers often report feeling guilty about taking time for themselves. But here's the thing. You need to think of it this way. The better you feel, the healthier you will be, and the more your survivor will benefit. So really, everyone wins if you take time for yourself and your well-being. Moving ahead, um, I want to talk about how cancer affects couples and partners. And I want to start by debunking a myth about cancer and marriage. There's a perception among both the lay public and some healthcare professionals that cancer breaks up marriages, in particular that women with breast cancer are likely to be left by their male partners. And the good news is, is that the data generally do not support this. For example, in a study conducted in Quebec, researchers compared rates of marital breakdown, um, which they defined as either divorce or separation, among women with breast cancer to women living in the same area without breast cancer. And marital breakdown, again, divorce or separation, was never higher among the breast cancer women as compared to the control women. So it seems as though couples are actually quite resilient in terms of coping with cancer when we look at these very objective outcomes like divorce. However, we can also look at more subjective outcomes, such as relationship satisfaction or kind of your happiness with the relationship. What we find is that couples coping with cancer are by and large relatively satisfied with their relationships when compared to the general population. We do, however, find significant changes over time and some interesting gender differences. For example, in our own research group, we recently published a study looking at relationship satisfaction among folks who under, underwent an intensive form of cancer treatment called bone marrow transplant or blood stem cell transplant. What we did is we followed these transplant recipients and their partners from just before the transplant to five years later. And couples reported being satisfied with their relationships just before the transplant. And the male survivors and the female survivors tended to stay that way over time up until five years later, as did the male caregivers. But the female caregivers stood out. They were the ones who reported being less satisfied with their relationship over time relative to where they had started before the transplant. So this suggests to me that there might be this double whammy, so to speak, um, in terms of being a, both a caregiver and being female. 
not to suggest that female caregivers are by any means doomed uh, not to worry. You know, I mentioned that it's important for all caregivers to take care of themselves, but it might be especially important for female caregivers to do so, so that they protect their mood and their relationship and that those things don't suffer. It, it's interesting, research spanning many different illnesses finds that when males are put in the caregiving role, other fam female family members tend to step in and help out. But this is not as often the case when females are put in the caregiving role. So um, ladies out there, do, do do your best to ask for help from others, you know, family, uh, neighbors, friends, or just others in the community. So on to a related topic of fa family communication. I've heard many stories from caregivers, and a common statement is something like, I hid my tears from my husband, or it was important for me to stay or act upbeat. And this speaks precisely to a particular coping style or way of coping called protective buffering, or what others have termed holding back. And it's when one partner hides or denies their cancer-related concerns, fears, and worries from the other partner. And it's something that both partners and survivors can do, and the consequences we have found to be negative. For example, we found that when survivors buffered their partners, their survivors reported lower levels of relationship satisfaction, and so did their caregiving partners. So it turns out that buffering hurts both the person who does it, the bufferer, if you will, and while well-meaning or well-intended, it paradoxically also hurts the very person being buffered or protected. This suggests that couples may benefit from sharing their concerns and worries with one another. To protect another person results in more distance and less intimacy or less feeling of closeness in the relationship. This might be clear if you consider that when two people are in a relationship and both know that a situation is difficult, um, it would make things even harder to feel as though you had to sort of pretend that everything was okay. Now, of course, we can't express every emotion we have um, right then and there when we're having it, so there's a time and a place for sharing these concerns and, and worries. So let me finish by summarizing and leaving you with a few tips. Um, first, caregivers need and deserve care, so please do take care of yourselves. Get support. Um, take advantage of support groups and, or seek out individual therapy if that is an option for you. Find an outlet for your emotions. Try the writing or the talking exercise I mentioned. You've got nothing to lose. Um, protect your relationship with your survivor. Find a time and a place to, sh to share your thoughts and feelings with this person and, and vice versa. And finally, do set realistic expectations. Just as recovery doesn't happen overnight for survivors, know that the same is true for caregivers. So give time time. And that's it. I will end there, and thank you again, and, and best wishes to everyone on the phone. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Langer, for an excellent presentation and really for presenting some very interesting um, information for all of us. And I know there will be questions during the Q&A, and thank you, and good tips as well. And our next presenter is Dr. Laurel Northhouse. Dr. Northhouse is Mary Lou Willard, French professor of nursing, at the University of Michigan School of Nursing, and she also is co-director, socio-behavior program, University of Michigan Comprehensive Cancer Center. And Dr. Northhouse is actually backed by popular demand. She actually presented last year on the series as well, and she's going to cover fatigue of family, friends, and loved ones, practical tips for managing the fatigue of caregivers, and strategies for taking care of yourself. Dr. Northhouse. 
Well, I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Mesner and Cancer Care for inviting me to be a part of this very important program. Let me start with fatigue in caregivers. What do we know from the research? Well, we know that fatigue is very common in caregivers of cancer survivors. One study of 200 caregivers found that over half of them reported moderate to high levels of fatigue. Caregivers were more likely to feel high fatigue if their loved one needed a great deal of physical or emotional care, was experiencing many symptoms such as pain, nausea, and difficulty breathing. Caregivers also have more fatigue when they try to balance many work, child care, and other demands with their caregiving responsibilities and when they also have health problems of their own. Caring for someone else when you have your own health problems can deplete your resources and lead to fatigue. We also know from the research that there are two kinds of fatigue, physical fatigue, which you're probably very familiar with, as well as mental fatigue. As you know, physical fatigue occurs when your body feels exhausted, tired, or you have no energy left to do one more thing. Mental fatigue is not the same as physical fatigue. Since mental fatigue is so common among caregivers, I'd like to spend a few more minutes discussing it. Mental fatigue occurs when caregivers have to concentrate carefully on what they're doing, closely monitor their loved one's health, and Joe mentioned that in terms of keeping a record of how his wife was doing. It also occurs when they have to focus on difficult tasks for a long period of time and make important decisions when there may not be a perfect choice. Mental fatigue also occurs when caregivers have a lot of worry and emotional strain that doesn't go away. I'm going to list some symptoms of mental fatigue, and I'd like to ask you out there to think about whether or not you have had any of these symptoms. Here's one. Trouble remembering things. You can't remember where you put your keys or you get on the road and forget where you're going. Uh, Joe, it sounds like you had a little mental fatigue when you had trouble getting to the soccer uh, field. A second one is difficulty concentrating. For example, you may have trouble uh, with your mind wandering or you feel easily distracted. This symptom is especially common in caregivers who work outside of the home. They keep thinking or worrying about their loved one, which makes it difficult to concentrate on their work. Other symptoms of mental fatigue include feeling irritable or having a short temper. I wonder if some of you out there can relate to that. For example, a caregiver who is normally kind and friendly may start snapping at their loved one, friends, or coworkers. These are all signs of mental fatigue. These are normal responses to the demands of caregiving. But it's important to recognize these symptoms of mental fatigue and to try to decrease it. Since it is likely that many of you who are on this call today may have experienced physical or mental fatigue, I'd like to discuss some practical tips for managing fatigue. There are two major ways to decrease your fatigue. First, try to find ways to conserve your energy. And second, try to find ways to restore your energy. And I'm going to cover each one of these. So let's talk about ways to conserve your energy first. It's helpful to prioritize your activities. Do only those activities that are the most important to you. Save the others for another day. It's also important to pace yourself. Spread big jobs out and do a little each day. Schedule activities during the time of day when you usually have the most energy. I think many of us, especially as we get older, have more energy in the morning, and as the day moves on, we tend to fade a little bit. So you need to plan for short rest periods as well. Use the help of family and friends for chores, transportation, meals, and other activities. And uh, both Joe and Dr. Langer uh, mentioned the importance of friends. 
And as Joe mentioned, some caregivers are hesitant to ask for help. They think they ought to do everything, and they feel guilty when they ask others for help. But please remember that your friends and families may be waiting for the opportunity to do something to help your situation. So be gracious and let them help you. Also try to save your energy for the most important things in your life. I also want to stress that it's important not to fight your fatigue. Listen to your body. Watch for signs that you are becoming tired or irritable. Then take a break for a while. Now, I want to mention for those survivors who may be listening in today, try to think about ways that you can help the person who is helping you. One survivor told me that one day when his wife looked tired, he made more of an effort not to sound so irritable, even though he was feeling very irritable. It's very helpful when survivors and caregivers work together as a team to help one another to manage the fatigue that they, most, uh, they most, both might be feeling. A second major way to deal with fatigue is to try to restore your energy. This includes trying to schedule time for fun, relaxation, uh, relaxation or activities that are you find to be enjoyable. Um, because doing things that you enjoy helps you to regain your energy. There's some very interesting research that's going on here at the University of Michigan. Researchers here found one of the best ways to restore your energy and to decrease your mental fatigue is to go outdoors into nature. For example, sit outdoors, look at the trees or flowers, visit a park, sit quietly on a park bench, or even take a walk or do some gardening. If you can't get outside, research also indicates that even looking out of a window at nature and wildlife, watching birds, or gazing at a fire in a fireplace can also decrease your mental fatigue. These types of activities are especially important for caregivers who are frequently multitasking, solving problems, and making decisions. Being outdoors or even looking outdoors creates a natural response in the brain, which allows the brain to relax from the constant focus required for caregiving. This natural restorative activity that goes on in the brain also helps caregivers to think more clearly when they return to their responsibilities. Other restorative activities include quiet times, such as meditating, praying, or reading an interesting book. Try to do these restorative activities as often as you can, but at least three times a week for about 20 to 30 minutes. And I don't know how it is in uh, your town right there, but here in Michigan it's a beautiful sunny day. And so if it's a nice day, maybe after the phone call, try to get out and see if you can try uh, 20 minutes of this restorative therapy in nature. Before I turn the conversation back to Carolyn, I'd also like to briefly mention a few other strategies to take care of yourself. And both Joe and Dr. Langer have mentioned some of these, but I think it's helpful for all of us to reinforce it. One of the most important strategies is to recognize that you must take care of yourself if you want to continue to be able to care for your loved one. Taking care of yourself is not a luxury. It's also not something that you do when all of your caregiving responsibilities are finished because as many of you out there know, they are ongoing. Taking care of yourself is a necessity. It is something you need to do while you are a caregiver. One way to take care of yourself is to exercise regular. Exercise helps you burn off anxiety and stress. Some people who are tired avoid exercise because they think it will make them even more tired. Actually, the opposite is true. Research indicates that exercise in moderate amounts can decrease fatigue. 
If it's difficult for you to leave the house because of your caregiving role, try to watch an exercise video or a TV program that takes you through an exercise routine. Another strategy is to get enough sleep. As we all know, sleep is one of the first things that we give up when we have too many things to do. But it's important to remember that uh, sleep helps to rest and restore our bodies. Also, eat a healthy diet. A well-balanced diet is really important, especially for caregivers who often focus more on the eating habits of their loved ones than on their own healthy diet. Try to drink plenty of water to keep your body hydrated because we know that dehydration can increase feelings of fatigue. Try to drink healthy liquids. Try to avoid pop, sugary things, or water as a part of your daily routine. It's also keep up your own annual health exams and appointments. Research indicates that some caregivers skip annual mammograms and other health preventative activities, or they don't even visit their health care provider when they're ill. It's very important for caregivers to maintain their own health and to seek help when they need it so that they continue to be effective caregivers. Finally, I would like to draw an analogy between taking a road trip and caregiving. Caring for a person with cancer is a journey rather than a quick trip. When we take our car on a long trip, we need to have enough gas, oil, and a good set of tires. The same applies to caregiving. Caregivers need to try to exercise, eat well, and get enough sleep. They also need to schedule, plan, times to restore their energy so they can continue to be effective caregivers. I'll turn it back over to Dr. Mesner now. Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Northhouse, for just a really wonderful, excellent presentation with lots of great tips for everybody So, um, and, and really practical suggestions that can be very helpful to everyone. Well, we now do have time for questions. I want to thank our speakers for really allowing that to happen. So we have lots of time for questions. And um, before Trinitha explains to you how to care for questions, I'm going to bring one other speaker on board. I'm going to have her bring all of our speakers on board for the Q&A. And um, also I'm going to ask her to add also um, for the question and answer period, Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is Director of Supportive Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, Beth Israel Medical Center, and St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital. So um, if you would bring all of our speakers on board, and then Trinitha is now going to explain to you how to queue up for questions. So, Trinitha. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star the one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Our first question is from Allison. Go ahead, please. How do I ask for help from my children without putting them on a guilt trip? Well, that's a great question, Allison. Thank you. Um, that's a superb question. Um, uh, Dr. Northhouse, would you like to address that? Well, that's uh, also, I agree, a really good question, Allison, but it's tricky because um, we do want children to help, um, and yet we don't want them to feel guilty and mad and angry that they're too much is being asked for them. I think um, sometimes what we find helpful in the families that we work is to, with is to try to sit down with your children, have a little family meeting, talk about how important it is your family works together as a team. And I think young people often understand that word team. And see if they are willing to give you some suggestions as how they can help you and help your family to work carefully together to help um, the family member who's ill get through the treatment or the illness or whatever. 
Um, it's also important to really try to be careful to um, give chores or tasks that are at their development level. Even though there may be a lot of things that need to be um, done within the family, try to focus on those things that they're able to do, then reinforce that they've done it, thank them, show your appreciation. Um, I think that's it's an important follow-through rather than just to add one chore on top of another chore and another chore. Here's also where you might need to ask for help from others if there's a lot of demands in your family so that the, the kids don't feel overloaded. Also, it's important to remember that they're going through stress as well. We know that the stress from the ill person and the caregiver reverberates down to the children. So um, they may be, have their own issues that, um, you know, may be getting in the way of them helping. And Allison, this is a, it's an excellent question, and of course there's so much more to your question than we can possibly answer. We actually could, this could be a whole, its own uh, telephone education workshop, so I would encourage you to call Cancer Care and all the other organizations as well, because we're all really primed to try to help with that and, and talk to it more length about, about this, because this is definitely an area that um, often requires more conversation about, um, about it, but we hope that this these um, suggestions by Dr. Northhouse at least get you started and have you thinking about some things. Thank you, and thank you for that excellent question. Our next question, please. Thank you. Our next question is from Stephanie Kay. Go ahead. Uh, yes. Hello. I'd like to thank everybody for this wonderful um, talk. It's been actually wonderful. Um, I'm a two-and-a-half-year cancer, breast cancer survivor, and I finished my treatment a year ago. Um, I'd like to find out what do you do when your spouse um, has an illness because you've gone through it and now it's, the spouse's turn to go through an illness. So it's very hard because if you yourself have gone through a tremendous amount of chemo and radiation, uh, like a year and a half of chemo and, and radiation and all the different surgeries, like what do you do? It's really hard to – you're taking turns, I guess, right? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, Dr. Fleischman, would you like to address that question? Sure. Um, we always uh, say that two people in the family can't be sick at the same time, uh, which means that you, we go through these things serially. Uh, you know, we, we see this all the time as we're all getting older um, and, and people in the family all, all go through cancer treatment, sometimes at the same time, but sometimes serially. Um, we have seen families who um, can sometimes uh, keep track, and I'm not sure that works. Um, I think um, doing what you can to support the spouse who has supported you makes the most sense. Excellent. Thank you. Our next question. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchstone telephone. Our next question is from Daryl. Go ahead, please. Um, I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for uh, what you can do as a caregiver when you need time to, to take care or accommodations to take care of your loved one and your employer is... Um, not as accommodating as you would like them to be? That's an excellent question. Um, there are, um, there are. I just want to, as Carol Mester, I just want to say, there are some protections that now have been set up in the workplace um, for, for you, Family Medical Leave Act, um, which does allow you to take up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave, and some employers will actually, um, uh, actually, um, some employers will actually give you, will pay you during that time as well, but will give you unpaid leave with your health insurance. And you can take those in increments of an hour at a time as well. And that applies to family members. So that's very important to be aware of. Um, and the Americans with Disabilities Act also does offer some protection as well. So it's very important um, the, uh, to get 
that sort of help. And often um, the staff at Cancer Care and many of the other organizations can be very helpful to you in negotiating the world of work. I'm going to ask Joe about his experience at work as well in terms of just navigating the workplace while he was working as well. Well, I was very fortunate um, um, that um, not only locally with my um, the group I was working with and the, and the line management, but also the company, um, uh, did provide, and this was before the act uh, that, that you're referring to came out because it was 16 years ago, um, they, you know, they gave me every uh, ability to um, uh, take the time I needed to um, uh, assign my work to other people and to um, uh, see if I would like to talk with people within the company um, uh, who, um, uh, you know, were counselors and so on. Uh, and so I was very, very fortunate, and I understand that it's not always um, uh, the case uh, with every um, employment situation. Uh, but I, I also um, encourage anyone to take the time to um, uh, go to their supervision, go to their line management, and explain the situation because, it, it, as we all know, no one really understands what it's like to be a, a caregiver or be in this path or journey as we've been talking about unless you've actually you know, been walking and been through it. So people may not understand that it's 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 not the flu. This is a this is a big a big event and, and requires a lot of attention. Um, the other thing that can be sometimes very helpful is actually to get a note from um, the physician indicating that there is a need for caregiving help. And I'm going to ask Dr. Fleischman to comment on that in terms of just really getting support behind you. So you wouldn't want to do this, if you're, particularly if your workplace is not very responsive, that you'd want to get people really behind you to support you, both in terms of um, the physician, um, a social worker advocate, um, a legal person to help you, even your um, local representative to, re to help you in figuring out how to best navigate your workplace so that you can, you know, maintain your position there while doing your caregiving. Dr. Fleischman, do you want to add anything in terms of just sometimes people asking you for notes to write for them? Just like the economic crisis we're all facing, those notes seem a lot less valuable than they used to be, uh, but they still can carry some weight. Um, I, I do think that um, having the documentation, you know, can help. Uh, we, gen we generally give these notes out. It's sometimes people even have them on their word processor, and they can just be uh, put out very easily. Uh, it, it adds credibility to a situation, and um, I, I wouldn't hesitate to ask. And uh, Dr. Northhouse, would you like to add anything to that? Um, I think um, I agree with the comments that you've made. I think you've given really good answers. Um, I guess the only thing I was thinking about as you were talking is um, just this, this issue of saving energy. And perhaps if work is a real focus uh, in terms of helping them to try to understand as well as caring uh, for your loved one, try to uh, use your energy as much as possible in those two major areas and let some of the others slide or get help from others for those. Can I add one more thing? I'm sorry. Um, yes. um, I, I, I've also seen over the years that a workplace where one of the supervisors or high-up people has had cancer before seems to be a lot more 
um, understanding, then places that, that haven't been touched by cancer within the leadership or the ownership of the group or the organization or the company. So um, knowing that, knowing uh, that someone high up has had cancer often makes uh, the whole system in the company a, a lot more um, workable for us all. Excellent. You know, I think we've tried to give some general tips, but like one of the other questions we had, um, we're happy to talk with you actually after the call as well. If you and I want to talk for more detail, there really is, uh, there are a number of uh, legal organizations that really provide pro bono help in in helping you to think this through in terms of, it helps often in a situation like this to know what your legal rights are in the workplace. Um, it helps you when you speak to your manager, your supervisor, um, to use the appropriate words to, uh, in terms of the discussion, uh, what you, uh, what would be helpful for you to say, um, so that um, I think what you're describing is a workplace that has not been as responsive to you as we would like it to be, and so the issue is how can we help you to educate them sometimes about what you need, and to actually work with them um, to actually um, so that you can continue working, which is such a critically so critically often important at this time. Um, so please, let's why don't you and I talk after the call as well. Thank you. Our next question, and Teresa, can you also explain to you how to queue up for questions again? Thank you. Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, you may press star, then one on your touchtone telephone. Our next question is from Mary Ann. Go ahead, please. Hi. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you. These sessions are just great. Um, my question is, my husband has um, prostate cancer. We've ha he's had it for about six years now, and we have our ups and downs with it. He will not share it with anyone, so I feel so alone. I am not allowed to talk to anybody about it. If I do talk to, like, family and friends, it has to be behind his back. I feel like I'm cheating on him. Uh, the kids ask me behind his back uh, because he just doesn't want to look weak in front of anyone. He doesn't want anyone to pity him. And... Um, I just become so, and half of the time he doesn't even talk to me about it. So I do research and make his doctor's appointments and fill his pill containers, and everything is just, I just feel so alone. And so um, how can we help you with this? So this is an excellent question. They're asking many times caregivers do feel somewhat isolated and alone. And um, I actually, um, I know, Joe, you had mentioned about joining a support group, but many people find it very helpful to join a, to gr a group to kind of, right. Um, to get some help with that. And, Joe, I wonder if you could share a little bit of your experience in terms of being in a group. Um, as I was um, had alluded in the beginning of the call, um, uh, back at the, in, you know, 15, 16 years ago, they, support groups were, um, if they existed, they, they were for um, the actual um, survivors. Uh, and there weren't uh, that many um, uh, um, ones for caregivers, and and as we've heard on this call, it's so imperative that caregivers get some ideas and information. And I, I think you would you be uh, I actually have attended some, and some of the uh, exact um, like topics of how do you make um, the person you're caring for begin to feel comfortable with the fact that that it makes you know, their life as well as uh, the, the, your family's life um, comfortable with with lifting the secrecy and the cloud around um, what is going on. In my personal situation, I have three children and 
we always, from day one, were, we had just decided that we would be absolutely honest and age appropriate because some of the children were four and 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 eight. But we, as we went through all these years, we always told them as as things were going along what was happening, and it did help them help us. It helped them help and understand the situation. It also, you know, they 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 moved into maturity uh, much faster because they they were they were part of as. We've said this is a very significant journey. But I think you'll get some very good thoughts if you can um, link up with a uh, support group. And I, I'm sure Carolyn with, with Cancer Care has some, maybe have some leads for you on that end. Well, you know, we actually, that's an excellent point you make. We actually, and your, the world has come full circle, and we have a lot of support groups. We actually have groups that are specific for caregivers. So a number of you have asked questions about the Cancer Care has telephone support groups as well as online support groups and you can access them by just calling Cancer Care. I'll say more about that at the end but and all of the other organizations that have collaborated today as well, many of them offer support for caregivers. You know, caregivers are incredibly important. I want to ask Dr. Lang if she could comment upon how important support is for caregivers and very often a caregiver is in a situation where, you know, sometimes they've been asked by the person to maintain the, the privacy of the situation and that really makes it hard being a caregiver then. Do you want to comment on that, Dr. Langer, as well? Sure, I agree. This is a difficult situation and, I mean, of course, it's his right if he doesn't want to share, but you're in this as well. Um, I just to echo the other comments, I do think he really would benefit from a support group. Um, you know, not everyone likes that, but I really think it could be helpful and um, if even if you can't get out to one face-to-face, uh, -face, which I do think would be great in your area, I know um, there are blogs and just at the end of, and Carolyn, maybe you can talk about this a little bit more, but I looked on sort of a blog that was one of the links that you get when you sign up for this telephone workshop associated with cancer care and just kind of went in there and looked and it was just incredible the things that people were sharing and how they felt supported and there really was this group of people there supporting one another. So I know that there are many options for that. Um, and then, you know, maybe you could talk with your husband and just say, look, I understand that you don't want to share these things, but I really do need an outlet. So, and maybe you can negotiate certain people that you could talk to or, you know, that you could take some time and go to a support group. And then certainly some of the other things I talked about, just the writing exercise, and because you really do need an outlet and you don't want to be sort of chronically suppressing your emotions about this very difficult time. And, you know, all those support groups are wonderful. Um, some people also like to talk to someone individually, just to have someone to talk to individually themselves on the telephone, just to call and say, look, I, I know what to do here. I need some help, and I, I need to talk about what how I can best manage this. So also um, many people often talk to one of our staff, social workers, individually, and, and then they actually maybe think about a support group, but they have someone to talk to about what to do and how to even approach um, you know, their husband or spouse or partner who doesn't really want to talk about um, their cancer. Dr. Fleischman, do you want to add anything? Uh, I, I think the question's been uh, been well answered. Um, the, the support groups can be very helpful. Many caregivers say, I'm too tired to go to a support group. That's part of the problem, and that's why the telephone ones are so helpful. 
Well, you make a good point that actually you don't, you know, people often they have to go travel somewhere. But, you know, people are very busy and they are tired sometimes. And a telephone group or an online group, depending on which you prefer, is very convenient. You don't have to get, you know, all, you know, don't, don't have to spend an hour traveling somewhere. And, for, and I know for some of you in some rural areas, it's more than an hour of travel. So the telephone really does make it all very convenient for you. Um, okay, our next question. Thank you. That's an excellent question. Thank you. Our next question is from Natalie. Go ahead, please. Hi, thank you. Uh, actually, this feeds on to the question that was asked before about protective buffering or holding back. That I'm going to give it for my husband. And we just, it's like the elephant in the room. We just don't discuss it at all. And uh, I, I think it's important that we should. He says it has a recurrence of cancer. Uh, he was well for seven years. It came back in a very severe form. And uh, we just can't discuss it at home, and I don't even know how to approach it because it's very upsetting to him. He gets very upset whenever the topic comes up, and I don't want to, of course, upset him. So it's hard for both of you, and you both sit then in, in kind of silence, not being able to talk about it. And so and we're very grateful that you actually have, are on the call today and that you've raised this because I think there are many other people who are feeling that same way, that they just – you know, don't have that, um, they, there's, there's no, they can't figure out how to have that communication or have that conversation. So this is not uncommon to have that happen, and the question is what, how can you broach that subject? Um, and so um, it takes sometimes time, sometimes talking to someone individually first to get some helpful, you know, suggestions of how to approach it. Um, again, Dr. Fleischman, would you like to add something here? Yeah, actually, one of our families um, taught us this a few years ago, and we've passed it on to many others. Um, instead of uh, having a date night, you can make an appointment to have a discussion about something that no one wants to discuss. Um, I, the idea behind it is, uh, as I've been told, and I, I think it really holds true, is that the fear is that the, once the box is opened, it's going to go on and on and on and on and on. And if you agree to have a, a time-limited discussion about things, be it financial things, worries about somebody getting sicker or disabled or even dying or whatever, um, and you have a, a beginning and an end, and it's planned, um, sometimes that helps contain it a little bit and actually may open up the door for a lot more discussions, even if you need to make an appointment. Sounds like a very good idea. Often people have to make appointments for all sorts of things, so why not make an appointment to talk to each other about something that's kind of hard to talk about? It's like a very good idea. Uh, Dr. Northrop, do you have any thoughts about that? Yes. Um, I think when the cancer returns, it's a very upsetting time for the the, uh, the survivor as well as for the caregiver, and it does raise some important difficulties about communication. And one thing that we have found in our study with people who have advanced cancers is that sometimes they need another professional with them to talk about these difficult issues. Because just as um, you have mentioned, it's sometimes hard to start the conversation, and uh, sometimes one member or the other worries that when the floodgates open, uh, they're not going to be able to stop it. Um, and so really with the help of a professional, for both of you, it just takes, it, uh, takes some of the pressure off and allows another person to sort of help you uh, walk through that conversation. So that's one thing that I would encourage you to do. There's also some support groups that are for people with advanced or recurrent cancer, and um, that's uh, usually helpful because sometimes it's difficult for people who aren't at that phase to talk with others who are, so I'd encourage you to do that. And I'd just also like to say that... Um, 
it's really important for you to get help. Um, and others have mentioned this already in the conversation today. But uh, even if your partner is hesitant to do so, because as you are able to let off some of your worries and concerns, um, it may help you to be able to help uh, your partner um, kind of relax about it as well. But um, people do get through this difficult situation. They are able to cope with it and find meaning and purpose in their life. And so um, I would encourage you to um, keep looking as you are to find the best way that you can um, to, to work through the situation. Thank you. And, you know, I have to say this has been an extraordinary call. I, I actually want to thank our speakers for being so terrific, just wonderful speakers. And I want to thank all of you who have queued up and really asked such really really important questions and questions that um, we're very grateful that you were willing to ask and that you also really, uh, we know you asked the question to get some help for yourself, but there are many other people on the call who benefited from your question and all of you who have been listening as well. Now, I would like to remind all of you this is a one-hour education program, and in planning a program like this, we recognize that you all have many needs that go far beyond the scope of a one-hour program. And actually, many of the questions that you asked today were just such wonderful questions, and clearly um, they are the beginning of really a, a conversation in terms of, of getting some help and support. I think that the theme of all of our speakers today has been that caregivers need support too and that they need help and that, um, that they're entitled to get support services too. And all of the different cancer organizations that um, were involved in playing today's program all have support programs that are free for caregivers so that none of these, uh, any of these services that we've mentioned, there is no cost to checking them out. Um, and um, I do want to say a word about cancer care services because we have a staff of 60 master's level trained oncology social workers and they are here to provide a host of free services from practical and financial assistance to a chance to talk with someone individually or in a group and just really to check us out, to give us a call. And our 800 number is 1-800-813-HOPE. So even if you're not sure you want to go into, you're not sure you've not talked to anyone before, you're not quite sure how to do that, you can call us and say, look, this is my question, my concern, can you help me? And we will then engage you and talk to you, and you have someone to talk to. And that is a free service, and it's available to you as often as you need it. And I think from the questions about the workplace and the, the employer not being as sensitive as they really ought to be, or we feel that they should be, um, to the questions about how do I talk, how do I make a date with my, um, with my partner, with my spouse, to talk about um, cancer, um, to how do I involve my children in being a bit more helpful. Those are all questions that are reason All the questions that you asked are terrific questions to continue on with, a, with someone um, in a counseling capacity, if you wish, um, or with someone who's professionally trained to just talk to you about these things and provide you with resources and, and, and listen to you also. Often we need a listening ear. It's very important. Um, we also have a number of uh, workshops and telephone workshops that are coming up in the future as well. Um, and um, we also have a lot of uh, materials and educational materials. We actually have a booklet on caregiving. So I would invite all of you, if you like, to visit our website. It's www.cancercare.org. And there is a booklet on caregiving. And if you aren't able to access it from the website, just call us, and we'll send you a booklet on caregiving as well. Um, and all the other organizations as well have a lot of materials for you um, as well on caregiving. 
Now, as we conclude our program today, I, I just want to remind all of you that um, we do appreciate your feedback. We are, of course, in the process of thinking about next year and plans for next year and other more programming around these topics of survivorship and very much appreciate your comments and your suggestions, your evaluations really help us to plan more effective programs, most effective programs to best meet your needs. So you tell us what you want, and we'll try very hard to put those things in place, if at all possible. It really will really depend upon what you suggest, because you, you know best what you need. Um, also, as we conclude today, I don't want anyone to feel that you're alone um, with your concerns or questions. Um, so although we were with each other today for an hour on the phone on this education workshop, the services from both from Cancer Care and all the other collaborating organizations, the National Cancer Institute, the Lance Armstrong Foundation, the Intercultural Cancer Council, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, the services from all those organizations, those continue after this program ends. And therefore, please do utilize all of us in the ways that, in any way that you want, by calling us and seeing what can you do for me, because that's what we're all here for. So um, as we conclude, again, um, you are now part of a community of support, and we hope that you'll take advantage of these free services to really um, help you um, as you um, navigate the survivorship course. And um, I want to thank you all for your participation today. I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the program. You may disconnect and have a wonderful day. <laughs>